0: Well, in 1941, a young woman uh, was hired by a boss for a spice company in Amsterdam, and what she didn't know is that when she got hired for that job, just a short while later, that she would be asked by her boss if he would be willing to hide his family in the back rooms of their office building. You see Jews all around... Europe were being rounded up, they were being arrested, they were being transported to concentration camps, and many of them uh, were dying. And so this young woman understood that if she was to say yes to her boss, uh, that could mean risking her own life. And yet she said yes, Uh, she continued to help run the business, she got extra rations of food every day, uh, even though she could be caught, uh, so she could feed the family, And she was one of many people during World War II that risked their lives to save the lives of Jews who were being killed. And we probably wouldn't remember her story or know much about her story if not for her boss's daughter. You see her boss's daughter's name is Anne Frank and her diary has been published over 30 million times. Recently, National Geographic put together a TV miniseries about her story and this woman's story. It's called A Small Light. And in this, they share a quote from this woman, where she says this, even an ordinary secretary or a housewife or a teenager can in their own way turn on a small light in a dark world. And just like the world of Meep's Day 80 years ago, our world is still dark, and we all still have an opportunity to turn on a light in a dark world. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at several stories of people that God that God has used, that have shined a light in a dark world. And, And yet these stories weren't recorded 80 years ago. They were recorded 2,000 years ago in a letter to a church in ancient Greece. That letter is the letter of Colossians that we've been teaching through for the last 10 weeks. And in one of the very last verses of this letter, in Colossians chapter four, verse 16, Paul, the author, he gives these instructions. He says, after this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. You see, Paul had written this letter to the church in Colossae, but he didn't just write it just for them. It was to be read in Laodicea and all across the Mediterranean. But that letter, it didn't just go uh, to Colossae and Laodicea. It would be read all over the world. Followers of Jesus would recognize this letter and many of Paul's other letters as scripture and they would read this letter to the Colossians to remind them of who God was uh, and who we are. And so over the last 10 weeks as a church, we have carried on this tradition of the last 2,000 years by reading and reflecting on this letter together. The book of Colossians, as Nate talked about in week one, the theme of Colossians is that Christ is the fullness of God And we are to be filled with him. So the book of Colossians, it's all about Christ. In chapter one, we see that Christ is supreme over everything as savior and creator. In chapter two, we see that Christ rules over every opposing idea and authority. In chapter three, we see that Christ in us, it changes us, it changes every one of our relationships. And as Noah talked about last week in chapter four, Christ calls each of us to make him known to the world. The letter of Colossians, it reminds us that we are all part of a story that is much bigger than our own. That that we're not just part of history, but that we are part of his story, that we are part of Christ's story. And if there's one big takeaway that I hope that all of us will walk away with from today, it's this. No matter your story, you have a place in his story, no matter who you are no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter your age, your gender, your background, we all have a place in his story. We, we are part of God's story and we can all shine a light for Christ in this world. And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna reflect on several stories of people that God has used. And as we think about their stories, I want us to think about our stories and how God might use us. We're gonna be looking at the last eight or 12 verses in Colossians chapter four, verses seven through 18. Paul had just finished uh, in chapters one through three in the beginning of chapter four, talking about who Christ was and who we are to be. And then in the last 12 verses, he names 11 people. And as you look at those names, many of them may be unfamiliar. You might not know their stories. You might wonder, how do I pronounce these names? Do you ever find yourself, you're, you're reading through a letter like this or part of the scripture and you see all these names and you kind of gloss over it, you look over it? Just as it can be easy to overlook the names of the people in this passage, I think if we're not careful, we can also overlook the stories of the people around us and, and even our own stories and how God might use us. And so today, what I want to do is I want to reflect on three of these 11 stories. I wish I could go into depth on all 11 of them. In fact, in our podcast, A Little Better podcast this week, we go into uh, some background in some of these other stories. But today, I want to focus on three of them. And as we think about these three stories, I want to look at three ways that God can use you. And the first way is that God can use you when you serve. And the first story I want to look at is the story of Tychicus. In verse 7, we read this Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So, who was this guy, Tychicus? Well, in these verses, we see several things that are true of him that he is a brother to Paul. He's a dear brother to Paul, he's a faithful minister, and he is a servant of the Lord. And he had been in Rome, had Paul had sent him from Rome to Colossae to give an update about how Paul was doing. But why would Paul send Tychicus? Well, he sent Tychicus because he was a faithful servant. That Whatever Paul needed, Tychicus helped him with. In fact, we see Tychicus' name coming up all throughout the New Testament, that everywhere that Paul traveled, all across the Roman Empire, sharing Christ, when Paul was beaten, when he was bruised, when he was shipwrecked, when he was imprisoned, Tychicus was there as his companion. And Tychicus served him, and he served the church in three unique ways. The first way that Tychicus served is that he carried a financial gift. You see, Paul wanted the Jews in Jerusalem to know that there's no longer a divide between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul raised up a financial offering, a gift from the churches in Philippi, in Corinth, in Ephesus. He collected those monies and he gave them to Tychicus to carry to the Jews in Jerusalem. Not only did he carry money, but secondly, we see that Tychicus carried letters. Paul had written letters to churches in Colossae and Ephesus and Philippi that Tychicus carried. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul had labored to write in these letters truths about who God is, who Christ is, who we are to be. And in many of these letters, including Colossians, the church would go on to recognize as scripture. They make up much of our New Testament. And if Tychicus had failed at this task, if he had lost these letters, then Colossae would have never got it. In fact, we wouldn't have much of the New Testament of the Bible that we have today. We would not be reading the letter to the Colossians this morning. So he carried money, he carried letters, and secondly, we see that Paul asked Tychicus to help several churches. Paul had two pastors, or he had multiple pastors that he mentored. Two of them that stand out are Titus and Timothy. And he wrote letters to Titus and Timothy. And in them, he said, hey, I want you to come visit me. I'm in prison, would you come visit me? And so when he wrote those letters to them, he said, if they're gonna leave the churches that they're they're pastoring, they're gonna need someone to cover for them while they are gone. And so he said, I'm gonna send Tychicus to cover for you. No matter what Paul needed, Tychicus faithfully served him. The church needs servants like Tychicus. Men and women that say, hey, whatever the need is, hey, I am in, I'm here to help. Fourteen years ago, when I moved to Northridge, I met a man named Dave Baxter. He had first connected to our church through a Christian school. And at that point of his life, he was not a follower of Jesus. He would have called himself an atheist. He rejected God. But he met some Christians that cared about him. They took some time to answer his doubts, his questions. They gave him books to read. And, and it came to a point where Dave became convinced that Jesus really did die, was buried, and that he rose again. And Dave came to place his faith in Jesus. And Dave's life changed forever. In fact, if you were to meet Dave today, he could tell you how many days it's been since he placed his faith Jesus, He could tell you where he was the day that that happened. Now Dave, he owns his own business and he works really hard to help that succeed, but he would be the first to tell you that that's not the most important thing in his life. And if you were to, to meet Dave now, you would see that he's often serving others behind the scenes. That when other people's lives fall apart, when they're in a moment of pain, when they turn messy, Dave is one of the first people to come and walk alongside of them. When they have doubts and questions about God, Dave loves to share what God has taught him. And if you were to find Dave early on a Sunday morning on our property or, or throughout the week somewhere on our property, you'd most likely find Dave carrying a bag around our property, picking up someone else's garbage. You see, God uses servants like Tychicus and Dave. That If there's a need, no matter how difficult, no matter how messy the task, they say, hey, I am in. And when you have the heart of a servant, no matter your story, God can use you. God uses you when you serve. And secondly, we see that God uses you even when you fail. The next story that I wanna look in this passage, and this might be my favorite one, is the story of Mark. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have have received instructions about him, Mark. If Mark comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, so he's saying, hey, this isn't Jesus God, this isn't Jesus the Messiah, this is the Jesus that we call Justice. He also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Okay, so who is this guy? mark well we see in in these verses here that he was one of three jewish followers of jesus that labored alongside of paul in ministry that when other jews had persecuted and rejected paul that mark and aristarchus and jesus called justice they stood by his side they were a comfort to him but what's interesting is what mark or what paul doesn't mention about mark's story You see, Paul and Mark had had a huge falling out with each other. Mark grew up in Jerusalem. In fact, the church in Jerusalem met in Mark's mom's home. And eventually, Mark went on this missionary journey with Paul all across the Mediterranean. But when the travel got tough, when they faced persecution, when it got hard, Mark bailed. Mark abandoned Paul. Mark went back home to his mama in Jerusalem And Paul was not happy about it. In Acts chapter 15, we see that Mark's cousin, Barnabas, said, hey, Paul, let's go on another trip and tell people about Jesus, and let's bring Mark with us. And Paul said, no way. He abandoned us last time. I'm not bringing him with me again. And so Paul went his own way with Silas, and Mark went with Barnabas. But now a decade has passed, and we're reading this letter to the Colossians, and now Paul says that Mark is a comfort to him. I mean, what changed in the relationship? In fact, when we look at Paul's very last letter, he's getting ready to die for his faith. In 2 Timothy chapter four, he writes this letter to his pastoral protege, Timothy. He's about to die, and he says, there's one person that I want you to bring to me. And who is that person? It's Mark. I mean, what happened? What changed in the relationship? Well, somewhere along the way, Mark came across Peter, and Peter knew all about failures. I mean, Peter, he denied Jesus three times, and yet Peter was able to share from his story of failure how God could use Mark in spite of his failures. And not only would Mark go on to be reconciled with Paul— But Mark, under the guidance of Peter, would write the first ever account of Jesus' life. We know it as the Gospel of Mark. And it's based on that first account of Mark that Matthew and John and Luke all write their Gospel accounts of Jesus' life. Mark had failed greatly, and yet God gave him a second chance, he used him. About eight years ago, I met a couple in our church named Chris and Charlie Pilger, and they have used their story to minister to many others. You see, about 45 years ago, Charlie proposed to Chris. He was excited to marry her, and the same week week that he proposed, he also placed his faith in Jesus, and he was so excited about his new faith, but Chris wasn't. And that led to about 20 years of tension and battle and brokenness in their marriage until Chris came to place her faith in Jesus. And over a number of years, four or five years, God began to heal and to restore their marriage. And for the last 20 years, they've been sharing their story of brokenness in their own marriage to minister to many other couples who are struggling with brokenness in their marriages. Just like Peter came alongside of Mark, Charlie and Chris have come alongside so many others. Does your marriage feel like it's over? Do you feel stuck in a marriage that feels beyond repair? Does does the thought of being married to them for the rest of your life, I mean, does that sound like torture to you? Chris and Charlie are a testament that God can change any marriage. He can redeem it, he can restore it, and he can even use it. But maybe you say, "Well, Jason, my marriage already ended. I'm, I'm, I'm divorced. Maybe you say every relationship that I've been in, every dating relationship, it's ended, and many of them messy. Maybe your kids have walked away, that you failed in school, you failed in work, you failed in friendship. no matter your story, Mark is a reminder that God uses our failures. He uses our weaknesses to magnify His greatness. God uses you when you serve. He uses you when you fail. And last, we see that God uses you when you start. And the last story that I want to look at is the story of Epaphras. In verse 12, we read this. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea, in Hierapolis. Okay, so who is this guy, Epaphras? Well, in chapter one of Colossians, we learn that he was the one who actually started the church in Colossae, that he was one of the first followers of Jesus in his region, and he wanted to do everything he could to share the great news of what Christ has done for him. So he started a church in Colossae in the home of Philemon. Eventually, he went to the towns nearby him, about 10 miles away of Laodicea and Hierapolis, and he shared the gospel there that Epaphras, he had met Christ, and where Christ was not known, he wanted to make him known, that he wanted to saturate his valley with the gospel. Eventually, he traveled to Rome, and he gave Paul an update about what God was doing in his hometown, and he said, hey, there's some false teaching, some bad ideas there, and so Paul penned this letter to the Colossians to say, here's who Christ really was, and to address that false teaching, and at the end of it, he commended Epaphras for a couple things. He said, he wrestles in prayer for you, and he works hard. Could that be said of you? Do you wrestle in prayer for others? Or when you don't get an answer to your prayers right away, do you give up? Do you fail to pray at all? Epaphras was burdened for the faith of the people in his hometown, and he depended on Christ in prayer. But he didn't stop there, he took action. He started churches, he was a starter. About 14 years ago, I moved to Rochester, and the first night that I moved here, I met a guy named John McIntyre. And I remember, I was 27, I was single at the time, I didn't have any family in the area, and being new to the area, it's a bit lonely, and I was heading down to the mall on a Friday night, the Victor Mall, to check that out. And on the way down, I got a call from John, saying, hey, do you wanna hang out with me? There's a bunch of us that are hanging out tonight, and that was a great comfort to me, that John would think of me, that he would invite me into his circle. But he didn't just care about my life and my faith. John has cared about the life and faith of people all throughout Rochester. Three years later in 2012, John would get married to his wife, Allison, and together they would be starters. The 12 years, or three years later in 2012, John would be up early at 5.30 on a Sunday morning driving a trailer from our Rochester campus to the movie theater in the mall in Greece so we could launch... Our Greece campus. He'd be up there, he'd be up early at 6 a.m. setting up our equipment. His wife Allison would be serving in our nursery so moms could attend a service free of distraction. Five years later, when we launched our Henrietta campus, John and Allison would be there to help get that campus off the ground. In this fall, when we launch our Brighton campus, who's gonna be there? John and Allison. They'll be leading our starting point environment for those who have questions about faith. They want to saturate Rochester with the gospel. They are starters, but what about you? You can be a starter too. In fact, this fall is one of the best times to be a starter as we launch our Brighton campus and hundreds of you have already said, hey, I'm in, I'm going to be a starter. I'm going to leave Webster. I'm going to leave our Rochester campus. I'm going to leave the comfort of my own home on the online campus and I'm going to go to Brighton. But maybe you say, well, Jason, I don't live in Brighton, so I'm just going to stay at the campus that I'm at. Well, John and Allison, they, they didn't live in Greece, They didn't live in Henrietta, and they don't live in Brighton, and yet they went. And Tychicus, or Epaphras, he didn't live in Hierapolis, and he didn't live in Laodicea, but he went. We're so thankful for the hundreds of you who are committing to go to Brighton. But as hundreds of you go, that means hundreds more need to serve. We need vocalists and guitar players and camera operators and diaper changers and kids volunteers and coffee makers and group leaders. And the list could go on. So I want to ask you today, would you be a starter? Would you go to Brighton? Would you be a servant? Would you say, hey, whatever the need is, hey, I am in. I will go. I will serve. Remember, no matter your story, you have a place in his story. God uses servants like Tychicus and Dave. He uses our failures. He uses stories of broken marriages like Charlie's and Chris's. God uses starters like Epiphrus and John and Allison, and he can use you too. No matter your story, God can use you. It doesn't matter how big your mess is. It doesn't matter how big your failure. It doesn't matter what skills or abilities you have. As Meep Geese said, Even an ordinary secretary or a housewife or a teenager can, in their own way, turn on a small light in a dark world. And over the last 10 weeks, as we've looked at this letter to the Colossians, we have seen that Christ is the greatest light in this dark world. And when we are filled with him, no matter our story, we can be a light in his story. Let's pray. God, so many stories make up uh, the people online and in this room. God, many of our stories are full of pain and difficulty, challenges, weaknesses, mistakes, failures. And God, that is what you use to magnify your greatness. And so I pray that as we leave today, God, that we would not step away from being used by you, but we would step uh, toward you and step toward others, Lord, that we'd be honest about our own struggles, our own failures, and in that, people would find hope in us, but they would find ultimately hope in you, Christ, as our light. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.